Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. So I used to think uh, that there was probably about four things that a man needed to feel like a man, right? One was a truck, right? You always had to have a truck. One was, if you don't have a truck and you're a, a man, you're not less than a man. I just used to think this way. I have a truck. One was a truck. <laughs> uh, a second one was a tool belt, right? I, I was doing this pro- fence project and I bought this tool belt. My wife was like, why do you need a tool belt? Because I'm a man, right? I didn't use it for that project. Number three uh, is a gun, and finally, I just bought a gun like three weeks ago. I've, I have guns, but I actually bought my own gun. And the fourth thing I still haven't figured out yet, but I know there's something else out there that I need to become a man on. But when I think about those things, it kind of made me think about how I'm all got everything together, right? So I have my gun. And in fact, actually, a couple of weeks ago, somebody uh, gave me a, an amazing bow. And so, like, I started going, I started looking at everything I have now, and I'm like, I'm ready to go hunting. I'm ready to, I'm ready to, um, uh, I'm ready to get out there. I have all the tools I need. I finally have be, feel like I'm a man and I can handle this. And so I started getting all my stuff together and I looked at all everything and I said, okay, God, is there anything else I need? And in preparing for this sermon, all of a sudden a story popped up into my, into my brain. I was 13 years old going on a hunt and I, and I legit felt like a man at that time, right? I had my dad's guns. He was, he was helping me out with everything and, um, and I was... I, I'm sorry, I'm really distracted. Um, they wrote a note up there, and so I'm like going to like reset everything. Is there, is there something wrong up there? Nothing? Okay, great, awesome. I, I'm pretty sure what happened, okay, I'm gonna tell you this story. This is my son, okay? Because the other day I told him this. I said, when I turned 18 years old and I had my first cigarette, I felt like a man. And so my brother, my son is saying that, uh, hey, when you, t- see, you distracted me, son. Right there, look at that. Wow, I do, if you, s- <laughs> I just realized that I told you guys, that I told my son that if he smokes, he's a man. That's not the case. That is not the case. Wow. Jesus is going to work on me later. All right. So it was reminded me of a story of when I was 13 years old. And I felt like this was the first time hunting with my dad. My gun on me and we went to the Pryor Mountains. And we were hunting, of course, for deer. And uh, we were walking along all day. And my grandpa took my oldest brothers. And they went on the other side of the the hill to uh, just sneak some deer our way. And so we get up to the very tip top and no deer has come over or anything like that. So my dad and I sit down and we're just sitting there going, what do we do? What are we going to do? And so my dad said, well, here's the deal. How about we walk back to the truck? 
And so I said, that's great, awesome. And so as we started walking back to the truck, we got halfway back and we started seeing our tracks as we walked, walked back. And I was just like, oh my goodness, what's in our tracks? And my dad said, that's a mountain lion track. So right there, and so we're probably about 100 yards from our vehicle, and all of a sudden we hear this mountain lion scream. And if you've ever heard a mountain lion scream in the wild, it'll be something that scares you bad enough, right? And so at that very moment, I realized that no bow, no gun is really going to save me when a mountain lion is hunting me and I have no clue where this sucker is at, right? Like you can do your best to try to find this. And then I'm thinking to myself, what if you had all the tools in the world to do whatever job and you knew that something out there was bigger than you, was better than you, was smarter than you, could take you down at any moment? How would you live your life? Would you change something differently? And I think that as we look at this scripture, Saul, later on to be Paul, is the perfect example of this. As we talk a little bit more about um, Paul's life, you need to realize that I think this is a guy who thinks he's got everything he needs. He's got everything packaged, and he is his own person, and he has everything under control, and he is going to become the top dog. He feels like the man right now. And so remember in the last, uh, the last chapter we talked about when there was, um, when they stoned Stephen, it ends with Saul sitting there holding all of the clothes enter in an amazing character. And so today, that's what we're going to be looking at is no matter what you think you might have to get the job done, if God wants to change something in your heart, he has the power to do so. There's no amount of me thinking that I have enough guns or enough of the right tools to get things done. Guess what? If I'm... I, I'm fooling myself if that's what I think life is all about sometimes. And in that realization, I think I'm a little bit like Saul, going, wait a second, maybe there's something else out there. And so, if you're taking notes with me, let's dive right on in this morning. And the very first thing that we need to understand this morning is absolutely no one is too far gone for the grace of God. Absolutely no one is too far gone for the grace of God. What does this mean? It means that I think that we either, uh, we either think we're good enough for God and we've got everything we ever need and so we don't need God, or we are such a bad person that how could God ever love us? The two opposite ends of the spectrum. But the reality is, is that God's grace covers everyone. We find that in Acts 9, 1 through 2, right away. It says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So we went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. I, I just really love that statement, the way. Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. He wanted to bring all of them back to Jerusalem in chains. 
In fact, also in uh, chapter 26, 9 through 11, he says this. He's in front of Agrippa, and he's telling his whole entire story in front of him. And he says, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus of Nazareth. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I, that I ever chased them down in foreign cities. Talk about a guy who is so against Jesus, a guy who is filled with hatred for other, people's who, for other people who are against his way. And I'm going to get into that in just a little moment of why I think Paul feels like he can get away with all of these things. But I think we need to go to the next part of Scripture. Uh, and once again, the second note that you guys can have in there is when we are captured by Christ, there's a couple things that happen. There's a couple things that happen when we are captured by Christ. In Acts 9, 3 through 9, it says this. And he was approaching Damascus on his mission. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. When we are captured by God... We find out a couple things, and actually, I don't know why that says Ephesians, but um, that's okay. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says this. That is the right one, sorry. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. When we are captured by Christ, we realize that this has been God's plan all along to absolutely choose us and love us. We are knocked out, down off of our high horses or built up off the lowly ground, and we understand that we are part of God's plan. He planned it from the very beginning that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. That he would pay the penalty in our stead from absolutely not following God whatsoever. Brought down to know one thing. And, and uh, <laughs> I had a, a lady come up to me this morning and she said, man, I got out of bed. And, and I thought to myself, I just don't want to do anything. And then she said, then I realized, what if God ever said, I'm just done? What would happen? Which brings me to the point of going, and I told her, I said, man, I'm super glad that you're not God. Because here's the deal. I think, I think this is what helps us realize this, is when we know God's plan, and we've been knocked off of our high horses, knocked off of all of the trajectory that we think that we're supposed to be on, we realize that we are not God. And we certainly don't want to be God. 
And then Philippians 3, 7 goes on to say this, and these are all Paul's words. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. All of our toiling, all of our planning, all of our scheming, and we, we do need to live life, but all of this scheming to get ahead, to make an extra dollar, to do all of these things is worthless compared to knowing Christ and what he's done on the cross for us. If I were to lose all of, if I were to lose my one truck and my one gun and my one tool belt, it wouldn't mean any less. But we wrap ourselves around all of these things and we try to hold on to them. And we try to say, this is what gives me identity. It was ridiculous this morning when I came to work at 7.30 and I was waiting for Brian to show up thinking, oh man, I've lost my partner. How am I going to be funny on the stage? Or how is all these things going to happen? And I thought to myself going, if that's what you've wrapped your identity around, then you don't know God whatsoever, Seth. Maybe that was the Holy Spirit talking because that doesn't come from me. If we lost everything right now, it wouldn't make us less loved in God's eyes because he has ultimate love for us. And in that moment, there's a couple things that Saul found being knocked off his horse. The first one is this, is that Jesus truly is alive. He did everything he possibly could to be against Jesus of Nazareth. And these people aren't making any sense. These people are not following the right way. But in that moment, he realized that Jesus truly is alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 8 says this. He says, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. And what he's exclaiming there is that he himself saw Jesus Christ we don't know exactly what happened in that time. Many scholars believe that when the bright light shone and, and those two people that were with him were the only people, they only heard a voice and, uh, and didn't see anything. And this is where most scholars believe this is where Paul saw Jesus for real. And he knew in that moment that, man, I've been trying to kill something that's, a, that's alive and it's not going to happen because he is way more powerful than me. And the second thing that Paul realized is that he was persecuting the Messiah himself. See, this is where I kind of digress and give you maybe a little bit of a scholarly fun uh, bit of advice, uh, not advice, but something that I found very interesting is Saul um, is, a, uh, is a really good uh, Jewish kid. Uh, he actually was born into uh, a Pharisaical family, and so his parents were Pharisees. And so he would have been born into a family in which, by the age of 12, he would have had completely memorized the first five books of the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Completely memorized by heart. By the time you're 12 years old, if you're good enough to have memorized those first five books of the Bible, then you would be chosen by a rabbi to follow them. And so he was actually sent off. His parents shipped him off from Tarsus to uh, come to Jerusalem. And he ended up actually being under uh, a high priest, or I'm sorry, not a high priest, but a rabbi by the name of Gamaliel. 
You guys might have heard of Gamaliel because I preached about him in chapter 5. Gamaliel is the guy that stood up when all these, they wanted to kill all of the uh, disciples and apostles and they put them all in jail, remember, and then God let them, the angel let them all out and the next day they all looked like idiots because the jail was still locked up, all the guards were guarding a jail that was empty and they were just right outside preaching Jesus still. And Gamaliel says this, he says, oh, man, don't try to squelch this because if it's of God, you're never going to make it. And if it's not of God, it's going to fizzle out. Some wise words from Gamaliel. And so we know actually Gamaliel, how he teaches Paul is he would take Paul through every single law and he would say, now here is absolutely all of the arguments. And so how to defend all these arguments and how to know how to get people in trouble by using the law to usurp their authority. Now Gamaliel happened to be the son of a guy uh, by the name of Hamalel. Now, Himalel was the supreme teacher of the Sanhedrin. And so check this out. You have the supreme teacher of the Sanhedrin who had actually died uh, over the age of 100. Okay, and so he dies over the age of 100. And now you have his grandson teaching Saul how to do all, how to be the best teacher in the rabbinic tradition. And so when I, when I love this statement that he says he was persecuting the Messiah, you know, you are, why are you persecuting me? In that moment, he finds out that his whole entire life is not based on getting to the top. His whole life was based on absolutely persecuting Jesus Christ himself. Which I find is, is a little bit interesting because when we kind of go through life, We think, that we're, we, we think that we're maybe sinning against our spouses or sinning against our children or doing wrong to them. But literally, I, I think when I read this, it just brings into this effort that, no, you, we are sinning against God himself because that's not how he created the world. It brings it way more personal to us when we realize that the sin that we have is not just affecting other people, it is sinning against God. So when we get snippy at our kids or when we yell at our spouses or our coworkers or the person who cuts us off in the car in front of us or we get mad that we don't have the right service or all of these things, sure, our anger might be out on a person, but ultimately we are sinning against God. That blows my mind a little bit because it brings it a little bit more personal for Saul. It's now, hey, you are sinning against the way. You are literally trying to go against God himself. We wouldn't look at it that way for most of us, right? Most of us, when we sin, we just go, ah, oh, well, I just maybe sinned against God. But in this very moment, he realized that even in his sin and going against God, God is still pursuing him with his love. C.S. Lewis said it like this, and, and I love this uh, scripture, or not, this quote. He says this, I did not see what is now the most shining and obvious thing, 
the divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. The prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet, but who can duly adore the Lord which will open the high gates to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape. The words compel and trar, compel them to come in, have been so abused by wicked men that we shudder at them. But properly understood, they plumb the depths of divine mercy. Get this, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of man, and his compulsion is for our liberation. The whole entire point of God is to bring us in and love us no matter where we're at. The people who walked with Jesus for three years, and Peter coming back with his tail tucked between his legs saying, God, would you forgive me? To the man who's kicking and screaming and being completely against God and is struggling, God still loves. And yet, he's saying, would you just come? And the problem is, is when he says, and, and some of you might be wondering, well, what does he mean when he says, hey, this has been abused by wicked men? I think we've watered it down. I think we've made it so easy for people to go, oh, God just forgives you. But no, it's that idea that our sin is completely against God and God still loves us. Doesn't take away the consequences of our sins. It means that God is walking with us and we are still going to be struggling, which brings into the next point of the sermon and is found um, in Acts 9, 10 through 19. And it, and it basically is, is that Saul is cared for by those he hunted. And I love this statement. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him, Ananias, and he replies, yes, God, go over to Straight Street to the house, and there's going to be a guy sitting there, and he's praying to me right now, and I've showed him a vision that you're coming to help him out. And Ananias' response is this, but Lord, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon his name. Have you not, dude, God, have you not seen that he is going around and killing everyone? Now you want me to go in front of him and talk to him. And God said, he's going to be my chosen instrument to take my message to Gentiles, to kings, to all the people of Jerusalem, or all the people of Israel. And this is the verse that I love. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. This isn't a punishment. This isn't, Saul, because you were such a bad person, you now have to go through this. No, he's trying to show Saul that it's worth going through the punishment for my name's sake. You see, I think it's pretty interesting that when maybe people come into my office or are looking for help or people that I've talked to, they just want the situation to be fixed so that they can feel better, but they forget about the consequences that are ongoing because of our sin. When we sin against somebody and, and God, the consequences don't stop. 
They're there for a long time. It's just that God chooses not to use those consequences or he doesn't hold that sin against us. He doesn't look at us and go, you're a sinful person. It's not that he takes the consequences away and says, you'll never have to deal with another consequence of your sin again. No. It's that he knows that as we go through things, we can give God the glory. That the suffering that we may have to go through in light of bringing glory to God is well worth it. It said, I mean, Paul says this, I, I consider it nothing compared to the glory of God. All this trial and tribulation that I'm going through is nothing compared to the immense glory of heaven. And on the flip side for Ananias, I love this, is you never know who you are serving. The biggest thing that we have to do is obey God. I mean, can you imagine if Ananias would have said, nope, I'm good. Saul can just rot there himself. I I don't want to help him. God would have found somebody else, first of all, because God's plans never fail. And he would have missed the opportunity to to be obedient to God, to give to be a part of God's plan of God giving the Holy Spirit to Paul. And so for you leaders who have served in Awana and you have kids that just, oh, just great you or you have that one person in your life that you're just struggling with, if you know that God has called you to be a servant in our church, to be a servant to your neighbor or to somebody, you, you don't know what you're causing. The only thing is, is that we need to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. Not to tell God that he's wrong, not to tell God that, man, you, you can't help me out. No, it is to be obedient. I have tons of people who come up to me and go, well, you don't understand, that's what they're doing. They're doing stuff wrong. And my response to them lately has been, well, what are you doing wrong then? Or, what are you doing right then? What are you doing to follow Jesus? Are you being obedient to what he's calling you to? Or are you just trying to tell what's going on with everybody else's life? We have to be obedient to serving God. I can't say that enough. Over and over again. We may think that we have all of the right tools. We may think that we have everything together, but it's really, God, what are you asking me to do? What are you calling me to do? And that takes time. That's not something that we just jump up on Monday morning and go, yep, I got it all figured out. It's a process, y'all. And then the very last thing. That after, and I love the idea that as soon as Paul, I, I don't want to keep on mixing Paul and Saul up, but as soon as Paul understood that it was God, he spent as much time as he could with God. I, I love the picture that he's praying to me right now, right now. He's not sitting there going, what have I done or anything like that. He is praying to me right now. I am strengthening him. And so, 
the last thing that happens is that Paul then is really joining the right hunt. He decides to take on discipleship and he decides to turn and follow God's way. In verse 20, we find that and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in synagogue saying he is indeed the son of God. And we're going to get more into kind of the timeline next week because it's a beautiful story of Paul. But the first thing that he just does, he says, Jesus really is the son of God. He starts spreading it all over the place. And people would be looking for Saul. And Saul's got this perfect moment that he says, man, trust me. Jesus is alive, and he is the Son of God. Follow him. And I'm going to ask the worship band to come up, and we're going to sing our last song. But if I were to look at the life of Paul in one nutshell to be able to bring this all together for us. It's two things to be able to take away. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking there is no way that God can forgive me or there's no way or how can I get back on track, absolutely no one is too far gone for the grace of God. Start spending right now. Don't waste another moment to be able to say, no, I want to be with you, God. And as soon as that happens, don't get stuck on where you were, but get stuck on where God is calling you to be. If you know there's a relationship that needs to be fixed, if you know that there is a situation that needs to be solved, don't get stuck on what happened. Get stuck on asking God, what do I need to do to communicate? What do I need to do, God, to maybe rectify this? God, is there a little bit of strength that I need to continue to, man, maybe walk through and glorify you in the consequences that I'm dealing with right now? God, I just need a bit more strength. God, I want more time with you so that when things do come my way, I, I've got this. I can handle this. God, whatever I, whatever I have is nothing compared to knowing you that much more. We're going to talk about that process of what it looked like in Paul's life next week about him spending more time looking at the things he knew to man going, God, this is what you're showing me. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with verses that will show you how to continue to navigate through life. Spend time with God. I, I feel like I'm a little bit of a broken record sometimes because that really is the answer. Spend time with God. Worship Him. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's going on. I'll find, you'll find that next week that I love this is that He doesn't go to other people he spends years with God, just learning from God over and over again. And in my life, sometimes that's not true. I spend moments or seconds maybe with God and hours, 
in other commentaries or books or conversations. And I don't want to get to the point ever where God says, man, I'm glad you really knew what everybody else thought, but you didn't know what I thought. Spend time with God this week. Allow Him to direct and guide you. And I love this song, We Believe, because it comes back to this is the baseline where I'm always going to come back to. That was the whole point of Paul's, <laughs> Paul's message then is we believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he paid for my sins. I'm not going to look back at what I was. I'm going to look back at where, I'm going to look forward to where God is taking me. Let's pray. God, we believe. We believe that your word is true. We believe that your way is the right way. And so God, would you help us to follow that and would you help us to look towards you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Give us strength this week to, to live what you're calling us to live. In your holy name we pray, amen. Love you all, have a good Sunday. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.